Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. We've all been there. You're standing in a museum, staring at a painting, and all you can think is, I don't get it. To me, knowing the story behind an artwork is a huge part of knowing how to look at it. I'm Amanda, the host of the Art of History podcast, where we view history through the lens of some really great works of art. Each episode, we dive deep into the bigger picture behind some familiar and maybe not so familiar pieces. Check out Art of History now wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. And a happy new year. Hello, everyone. I'm Mick Sullivan, and welcome to The Past and the Curious. I sure hope that the end of one year and the beginning of a new one are finding you well. I'm really staggered to look back and think about everything that has happened in 2023. My kids grew up a lot. I worked on some really cool projects at work. I released a book. I see Lincoln's underpants. I performed in Boston for WBUR's podcast festival. I wrote some of my favorite episodes and had a lot of fun along the way. I hope you did too. So here's to more in 2024, which I like that. I like the sound of that. It has become a tradition of sorts for the end of the year episode to focus on toys and how they came to be. There are some really interesting stories, as it turns out, about many of the things that we play with. Sometimes it's a potato, and sometimes it's a rock, as you will see in this episode. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you for listening, as always. Television in 1952 was in black and white. News programs, sitcoms, dramas, and commercials would not reach American homes in color for two more years, in 1954. There were a lot of shows on the air at this time. Nowhere near the number of today, mind you, but the number one most popular show by far was called I Love Lucy. It was built around the comedic genius of an actress named Lucille Ball, and in the show she portrayed Lucy Ricardo, a woman who wanted to be famous as an entertainer, with support from her musician husband and a pair of friends. The show was tremendously popular, and because of that, advertisers wanted to run all sorts of commercials during episodes of I Love Lucy. And in 1952, something happened that had never happened before. A new commercial ran, and it was for a toy. And it wasn't directed at adults watching the television, but rather the children themselves. This was the first time this had ever happened. The first toy on a television commercial. And that toy on the television was technically a tuber. A tuber toy for tots. Tubers. No, not tubas. Tubers of course, are the big old chunky underground bulbs of certain plants that store the plant's nutrients. The most famous tuber is the potato. And the most famous potato is, of course, the french fry! Well, no. 
The potato chip. Not what I was going for. My grandma's potato salad. I was thinking more of a potato-based character. Mr. Potato. Mr. Potato Head. Got it. Um, yeah. Kinda. Anyway, in 1952, Mr. Potato Head became the first toy to be advertised on a commercial on TV. And that's pretty remarkable. But even more important is that still, over 70 years later, this tater was no abdicator, but rather a real innovator who sprouted imitators, but always came out as the greater. Or, in other, less rhymy words, kids still play with Mr. Potato Head today. It's a classic. And its 2000 election into the Toy Hall of Fame should be a good indicator that it's the greater tater. But the road to toy immortality didn't begin in 1952. By some accounts, it actually began many years before, when inventor George Lerner was a kid, just looking to entertain his younger sisters. Making a face on some vegetables seems like a natural thing. Kids play with their food all the time. Whether this part actually happened or not, George Lerner's idea sprouted and eventually grew into something that he spent much of 1949 trying to sell to companies. Unfortunately for George, people felt it was kind of wasteful at the time. You see, the original idea for selling the toy included a box of eyes and noses and glasses and ties and, you know, that sort of stuff. All the necessary accoutrements a fancy pants humanoid potato about town might need. Except for, you know, pants. But besides pants, something else his original pitch didn't include was a plastic potato. Instead, he expected kids to poke the pointy pens fixed into the back of these body parts into a real potato. Just a few years before this, World War II completely disrupted people's lives. And one of the ways it affected Americans was in the way that people ate, grew, and valued food. Nothing was wasted, and many grew gardens to feed themselves in the face of food shortages. George's idea for a fun food figure came years after the war, but people were still conditioned to treat every morsel with reverence. Playing with and wasting real food seemed, hmm, against a lot of people's instincts. But George believed in his funny face man, as he was called at the time. After striking out with toy manufacturers, George finally scored a deal with a cereal company in 1951. As you probably know, cereal companies often include prizes in their boxes. And guess what? This is a sneaky trick to get kids to ask their parents to buy the cereal. And guess what else? It's been happening for a long time. Back in 1914, Kellogg's offered a cereal box prize, and so has nearly every cereal since then. The plan in 1951 was for George's Funny Face Man kits to be included in boxes of cereal. It wasn't George Lerner's ideal scenario, but at least he sold his idea. Once the deal was done, though, it meant that kids would soon be finding plastic eyes, ties, ears, beards, and more in cereal boxes. These same kids could then stick those onto the potato of their choice and make their own Funny Face Man. In retrospect, this was a pretty revolutionary idea for a toy. It was completely customizable by each and every kid who had a starchy vegetable to spare. 
but the funny face man parts would never make it into cereal boxes. Despite the partnership, George was looking for a better scenario that would put his funny face man in more homes than the cereal could. Everything changed when three brothers from Rhode Island decided that they'd like to try a bite of his potato plan. Up until this point, Herman Hassenfeld, Hilal Hassenfeld, and Henry Hassenfeld had been selling pencil cases to families with kids in school. The Brothers H were looking to expand their pencil case empire. Sure, people like having a convenient and safe place to store their pencils, but Henry, Herman, and Halal began to ask themselves, what do people like more than pencils? And they soon found their answer. That's right, potatoes. The Hassenfeld brothers made the cereal company an offer for the potato-less parts. Originally, the food company had bought the rights from George Lerner for $5,000. So the Hassenfelds offered to reimburse them for the original $5,000 and then gave them an additional $2,000 for their trouble. The cereal company gladly took the paycheck and moved on, while the Hassenfelds made plans for selling that toy. They could have only dreamt that it would go on to be one of the most enduring toys in history. And lucky for George, they gave him a nice cut of future sales. And lucky for themselves, they shortened their company name from Hassenfeld Brothers to Hasbro. They also changed the name of the tuber known as Funny Face Man to the catchier Mr. Potato Head. Soon, a styrofoam potato was shipped along with the parts. But after poking in eyes and ears all over the soft round spud, Kids found the styrofoam quickly wore out, and worn toys are a drag. So most kids just went back to using real potatoes. Of course, if you didn't have a spare potato lying around, or your parents had recently mashed the ones that you were usually playing with, an orange, a pepper, or even an ear of corn would work just as well. This was all well and good, and probably a lot of fun, but plenty of parents found old veggies under kids' beds or in the toy bin. And that probably made for some not-so-great smells in plenty of bedrooms across the land. There's a saying that no person is an island, so it's wrong to expect a potato to be one, too. Mr. Potato Head needed friends and family. Before long, Mr. Potato Head's universe expanded. Along came Mrs. Potato Head, children named Yam and Spud, and even friends made with plastic versions of the alternate fruits and veggies that kids had been using. Pete the pepper, Oscar the orange, Katie the carrot, and Kookie the cucumber. It was a cornucopia of fun food figures, customizable from face to foot. And it didn't stop there. The Potato Head universe continued to expand through the 1960s, and a second group of new friends, the Picnic Pals, showed up on the scene. Same idea, plastic bodies with holes for adding your preferred facial features and outfit accents. But with the picnic pals, Hasbro stepped away from the naturally grown food friends in favor of processed pals. So you could dress up Frankie the Frank. This was an anthropomorphic hot dog. And Frankie had natural friends in Willy Burger and the Mr.'s Ketchup Head and Mustard Head. Perhaps strangest of them all, though, was Frenchie Fry. I mean, when you really think about it. Not because french fries are weird. They are not. But in a world where there is Mr. Potato, one can only wonder what terrible things happened to poor Frenchy Fry that led to him being a deep-fried potato. 
despite the likely horrors of a hot oil bath for the poor peeled potato, at least Frenchy Fry had some fashion sense. He came with a beret, a curly mustache, and he probably would have spoken with a terrible French accent. None of those picnic pals made it past the 1970s, but Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head certainly did. They changed in format and features through the years, but the general idea of a blank canvas for kids all over remained the same. No doubt, plenty of potato heads wound up with ears in the nose hole and eyes in the rear end. I know I've made some mixed up potato heads in my day. Now, most people know that the potato heads were very famously characters in the Toy Story movies, but you might be surprised to learn that the fake food figurine actually received votes for the office of mayor of Boise, Idaho in 1985. Idaho, of course, is famous for potatoes, so it makes sense. The Guinness Book of World Records lists the 1985 election as the most votes for Mr. Potato Head in a political election, which is a strange category, I think. Also, the toy only received four votes, so I feel like it would be an easy record to break if someone out there is looking to dip their toe into potato politics. But I don't advocate for making a mockery of the civic duty of voting, so instead, maybe just dip your potatoes into ketchup. And rest assured that the Potato Head crew will be around for kids to play with for a long time in the future. There are no signs of them going rotten, which is amazing since they broke ground on a television commercial and first appealed to couch potatoes over 70 years ago. We dug them then and we dig them now, which is why Mr. Potato Head is honored both with a place in the Toy Hall of Fame and the Idaho Potato Museum. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust? You need Shopify for retail. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com lifestyle, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lifestyle to take your retail business to the next level today. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. Today could be the day a famous mobster met their end or the first milestone for humans in space. Who knows what history today holds? Find out when you listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. And for You Have 30 Seconds this month, we welcome Irene from Rochester, New York, which happens to be home to the National Toy Hall of Fame. This isn't about toys, though. It's about music. My name is Irene, and I'm six years old and live in New York. Thomas Andrew Dorsey was born in Villa Roca, Georgia in in 1899. He was the son of a Baptist 
preacher and a church organist. He is known as the creator of church music called Gospel. Dorsey created the song Take My Hand, Precious Lord, and several years later, Mahalia Jackson sang Take My Hand, Precious Lord, and audiences loved it. Irene, that was awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sending that. Uh, and it was cool that you found that great information in a biography that you were reading about Mahalia Jackson, or so I heard. Very, very cool. Thank you. And if you out there have a you have 30 seconds, uh, you just need to record it with something, a phone, an iPad, something like that, you know, easy peasy. Make it a digital file and email it to me at hello at the past and the curious dot com. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. Well, we've arrived at the section of the show known as quiz time. So I'm going to give you a quiz question. What vegetable was the first vegetable to be grown in space? Did you think it was a trick question? Did you think the answer was too obvious? Well, perhaps it is, because the answer is the potato. With help from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, NASA first grew potatoes in space in 1995. Okay, question number two. Back on Earth, which country grows the most potatoes per year? Growing over 99 million metric tons of potatoes, China is the clear winner in the potato production playoffs. In fact, second place India only grows half as many potatoes as first place China. That's a huge difference. Okay, third and final question. Of the states in America, Idaho grows the most potatoes. It's very famous for that. But beyond potatoes, it is also famous and a very popular tourist destination for snow skiing. It invites lots of snow skiers. One moving invention made its world debut on the ski slopes of Idaho, and it was inspired by a banana loading conveyor belt lifting bananas up into a boat. What was the invention? Inspired by seeing bananas strapped to a moving wire to load into boats for quick and easy transport, James Curran invented the ski lift, chairs on a moving wire that skiers could use to make it back up to the top of the hill easily after skiing down. The hill-hopping invention made its debut in 1936 and helped Sun Valley, Idaho become a skiing destination for millions of people. Fads come and go. And honestly, that's the definition of a fad. Fad, an intense and widely shared enthusiasm for something, especially one that is short-lived and without basis in the object's qualities. A craze. Basically, for a very short period of time, a lot of people become obsessed with something that may or may not be a good idea. It could be a dance. The floss was a fad a few years ago, and a generation before that, it was the Macarena. And a few before that, the twist was a dance fad. It could also be a toy. 
the hula hoop was a huge fad for people in the 1950s, you could call a lot of toys fads, actually, from yo-yos to the Tamagotchi pet. And ask a grown-up who lived through the 1990s if you don't know what that is. But the thing about fads is that most people move on from them and lose interest pretty quickly. Not many people are dancing the Macarena today. Sure, some people are, and hats off to them for keeping the 90s alive. And yeah, yo-yos are great and all, but most people are not walking the dog, putting it to sleep, doing the old rock the baby, or around the world quite as often as we did during the height of the yo-yo craze. But of all the fads in the world, one is the fattiest. It is the fad against which all other fads are measured. If there were such a thing, the Federal Bureau of Investigation would rate it as FBI public fad number one, and this fad would be tried in a federal court and sentenced to life in federal prison. It all began, and basically ended, in 1975. $3.95, that's all it costs to own the greatest, most rewarding, most loyal, least messy pet in the world. It's a pet that needs exactly as much attention as you want to give it. Take it everywhere you go, leave it alone for days at a time. This pet will love you either way and give you absolutely no problems. Unless you happen to drop it on a bare toe. Yo! That's why thousands, nay, millions of people are bringing this pet home too. And so can you. For less than four dollars, you too can have your very own Pet Rock. Yes, to oh so very many people, the year 1975 was the year of the Pet Rock. And the Pet Rock is exactly what it sounds like. It's a rock that you keep as a pet. Like a little hunk of rock. As a pet. And people bought them. Lots of them rocks, like the same rocks that you can find practically anywhere outside. Pretty wild, right? Well, here's how it went down. One day, a guy named Gary Dahl was hanging out with some friends. He was a struggling copywriter, meaning he wrote texts for things like advertisements and stuff. Well, his pals were complaining about some of the stress caused by their pets. Sure, pets are nice to have because they can be fun and get you outside for walks, they love to snuggle, play animal games but they can also tear up your furniture, rack up costly vet bills, wake you up at night, and, well, they don't follow the same pooping protocols as people, and that can be messy. Immediately, Gary's mind considered how great it would be to have a pet but not have any problems. And then he blurted out the setup for a joke. I have a pet without any of these problems. His friends looked at him in confused anticipation, he replied, Yeah, it's my pet rock. At this point, his friends probably laughed. Oh, that Gary. So funny. Always with his rock jokes. A pet rock. How absurd. But in the days ahead, it became less of a joke to Gary. Not in a weird, I'm going to adopt a rock, give it a name, and love it like a pet sort of way, but in a, this is so absurd, maybe I can sell it to people kind of way. Gary found a nearby sand and gravel company where he could buy nice, smooth rocks that came from a Mexican beach. These stones were perfectly sized for the palm of your hand, and they only cost one penny apiece. 
Most likely, these rocks were sold with the intention of people using them for landscaping or construction. No one other than Geary could have imagined that they would make great pets. But in this industrial rock pile, he saw his very unusual future. Now I know what you might be thinking. This dude's gonna buy rocks for a penny and sell them to people for four bucks? What's going on here? But Gary would have been the first to tell you that he wasn't selling rocks. There's rocks everywhere. Walk around. You can go fill up your pockets today. He was selling an idea. And a box. See, every pet needs a home. And many need ways to be transported from place to place. A dog carrier, a horse trailer, a fish tank. So to make this product stand out, Gary and his team placed each rock in its very own special cardboard box. About the size of a lunchbox and with a handle on top, this cardboard crag carrier had holes punched in the side so your pet rock could have oxygen, well, safely inside. Filling the box was a nest of shredded paper, giving your rock a comfy ride as it left America's west coast, bound for all points East. After showing the pet rocks at a trade show, which is a giant indoor fair where store owners and buyers come to see what kind of new stuff they want to stock in their stores, orders started pouring in. The first few rocks found their way onto the shelves at a few department stores, and almost immediately, plenty of people got the joke and coughed up $3.95 plus tax for a pet rock of their own, or more likely to give to someone else. Now, sure, lots of people were like, Pet Rock, what a waste of money. Pet Rock, what's the point? Or, Pet Rock, I have no imagination, and I can't understand why anyone would ever even look twice at such a silly thing. I'm not a fan of yucking anyone's yum. Many people saw the rock and immediately said, Oh, I get it. What a funny thing to do. Or, what kid doesn't love rocks? Mine will love dressing their special rock up, putting on googly eyes and naming it something like Dave or Carol or Keith Richards. Or, plenty of people said, <laughs> That's hilarious. I'll buy it for Tanya in accounting. She'll think it's funny. But that poor lady's always having papers blow off her desk. She can use it as a paperweight. Gary the pet rock guy was in the right place at the right time. Today, the world is filled with useless gag gifts that get purchased and put on shelves, re-gifted, or forgotten about. But the pet rock was among the first humorous and mostly useless gifts on the market. It was just so absurd that people loved it. Plus, a lot of heavy stuff had been going on in the world in the mid-1970s, so a chance to laugh at the absurd was worth the money to a lot of people. In the months leading up to December of 1975, pet rock fever overtook America. The Silly Stones were featured in newspapers and magazines and even on talk shows like the ever-popular Tonight Show. The 1975 holiday season was a big one for pet rocks. The only big one, as it would turn out. It was reported that when pet rock fever was at its most feverish, Gary's team shipped 100,000 rocks a day. That's a lot of rocks who found forever homes in the caring arms of children, goofy uncles, or Tanya from accounting. In total, close to one and a half million rocks were sold that season. 
but it was a fad, and Gary knew it. The Pat Rock bubble was bound to burst. He once said that he planned to pave his driveway with whatever he had left over. Pretty quickly, Pet Rocks fell out of fashion. But in addition to paving his driveway, they also paved the way for other fads like Big Mouth Billy Bass or Silly Bands and Dealy Bobbers, which is the actual name for the puffballs on springs that are attached to a headband. Those became a funny gag gift in the 1980s. Today, official Pet Rocks are still available, but the going rate is nearly $30 for a rock. If you'd like a Pet Rock of your own, I'd recommend heading outside and finding the right one the old-fashioned way. Of course, there was one other thing Gary included in the box with your pet, a guidebook to caring for your new pet rock. I found it online at archive.org, so if you need a reference, it's there. The original 32-page publication recommends training a rock in 15-minute time chunks because rocks have short attention spans, and a bored rock is an unhappy rock. Typically, it says, rocks are better at following the commands sit and stay than they are at ones like come or fetch. However, if you train your rock at the top of a hill, it can be very good at following the command of roll over and over and over, if you nudge it just so. Also, one can be trained as an attack rock, but this command should only be used for protection. And of note, if you adopt a pet rock of your own, the manual also advises new owners not to take rocks swimming, because rocks are notoriously terrible swimmers. Thank you all so much for listening to episode 87, the last episode of 2023 of The Past and the Curious. My name is Mick Sullivan, and I have a few people to thank. As always, Patreon supporters, I'm so grateful for your support um, it really, really helps this keep going because this is still six years later, something I do, uh, in my basement and I'm, you know, I have a job and this helps take care of it. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, oh, and so those people would include Amy Rosenthal. Uh, thank you so much. I, I'm grateful for you. Uh, and if you are, um, if I need to thank somebody else, Amy, you just let me know. Also, Charlotte Box Lacey, who I see is a fellow Kentuckian. <laughs> That's awesome. Hello, Charlotte. I'm so glad that you are out there and listening and uh, not so far away. I wonder if I met you when I was in Lexington. If not, I'll probably be back. So who knows? Um, and, oh, I really have to send a hearty thanks to Phoebe and Colleen Roberts. Thank you all so very much. I'm so touched uh, again um, by your generosity. And uh, I'm so glad that the show matters to you and that uh, it matters to everybody out there. This has been a whole lot of fun this year, and uh, here's to more in 2024, right? I'm Mick Sullivan. Thanks for listening. Hi, friends. Are you looking for a new podcast? Maybe something you can share with your littles? Something that has some storytelling in it? Well, then look no further. We have Storytime with Philip and Mommy, where my son and I sit and discuss all the great books that you might love while we read them. So, Little Golden Books, Berenstain Bears, and even the new classics like Bluey. We sit down, we read, we discuss, and we have so much fun doing it. Come and join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
Calling all trivia nerds, Brittany here, and I host the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast with my best friend, Meredith. Is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest? (laughs) We've got The Cure, three rounds of awesome trivia every week. Harry Potter, Disney, science, sports, you name it. No more silent car troubles. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Connect, laugh, and learn with your kids, big and small. (laughs) New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast.